wake up everybody, no more sleeping in bed. Welcome to KPFK's Morning Mix Radio Magazine. Coming up is Voices from the Frontlines with Eric Mann. Wake up everybody, no more sleeping in bed. No more back thinking, time for thinking ahead. Good morning and welcome to Voices from the Frontlines, Wake Up and Smell the Revolution. This is Channing speaking, your co-host and producer of Voices from the Frontlines. Today we have an exciting show following Amy Goodman's headlines. We'll be joined in conversation by Yuko Babu, Executive Director of the Pan-African Film and Arts Festival. This year, the Pan-African Film and Arts Festival will take place from February 9th to February 20th at the Baldwin Hills Crenshaw Plaza, specifically at the Cinemark Theater. There is also going to be an arts festival throughout the mall from February 9th to February 20th. To learn more about the Pan-African Film and Arts Festival, please go to www.paff.org. For our music segment, we'll listen to He Lives in You. This is an original recording from the Broadway musical The Lion King, and it's directly in line with the conversation between Eric and the Pan-African Film Festival. And then followed by that, we want you to go to www.voicesfromthefrontlines.com to sign up for our newsletter and to look up Voices from the Frontlines on your favorite podcasting site and share it with as many friends as you can. As you know, we are in FunDrive, and we need your support for KPFK and Voices from the Frontlines. Call 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK, or log on online at kpfk.org to give your most generous contribution. Those of you who listen to Voices from the Frontlines regularly know that we are in dire need of your support and just to put this into perspective, if you're going every morning to buy your coffee from Starbucks, or you're going every morning to buy your coffee from your little cute, you know, uh, cafe down the street, because there's cafes popping up everywhere. Think about this. Are they playing KPFK? Are they fulfilling you in the same way politically as KPFK? And if not, why are you giving money to them and not giving money to KPFK? That's something to think about. Think about where your dollars are spending and how many radio stations are like KPFK, putting on air the most radical programming and doing so effectively. We need your help. Call right now, 818-985-5735. Now let's listen to the headlines with Amy Goodman.
Welcome to Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan has declared a three-month state of emergency after the death toll from Monday's catastrophic earthquakes topped 5,000 and continues to rise exponentially. The World Health Organization warns the number of dead could ultimately increase eightfold, with some 23 million people affected by two major earthquakes that struck south southeastern Turkey and northern Syria. Hundreds of aftershocks followed. The quakes caused thousands of buildings to collapse, trapping people under rubble amidst freezing temperatures in the early morning hours. In Turkey's border province of Hatay, residents anxiously search for loved ones among the wreckage. Our relatives are dead. My sister's daughter died. She was 17. My sister's in-laws' children are stranded under rubble. She's there with three children. They are not rescued yet. God, please help us. Please pray for us. I beg you, pray for us. Pray for us. There are aftershocks. It's uncertain what will happen to us. The earthquake struck as fighting continued along the Turkey-Syria border between Turkish forces and Kurdish fighters. The United Nations reports more than 4 million people in northwest Syria, where the deadly earthquake struck, already rely on humanitarian assistance. The U.N.'s humanitarian coordinator for Syria said Monday the quakes preventing aid workers from accessing northern Syria through the single border crossing into the region. The infrastructure is damaged. Uh, roads that we used to use for for uh, humanitarian work are damaged. We have to be creative in how to get to the people and how to get to them the, the assistance. We'll have latest on earthquakes after headlines. Ukrainian officials say Russia's military is massing hundreds of thousands of troops for a renewed offensive in eastern Ukraine set to begin as early as next week. This comes amidst heavy fighting in the eastern Donetsk region, where Russian troops are attempting to encircle the city of Bakhmut. Here in the United States, NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg is in Washington, D.C., today for talks with senior Biden administration officials and congressional leaders. His trip comes a day after the U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres called for an end to the conflict in Ukraine, saying he fears the world is sleepwalking into a wider war. In Hong Kong, authorities have opened a trial for 47 pro-democracy activists and politicians accused of violating a sweeping national security law imposed in 2020. Sixteen of the activists have pleaded not guilty to the charges, which could see them sent to prison for life. Chinese authorities have accused the activists of conspiring to commit subversion by holding an unofficial primary election. This is Chan Poying, a longtime activist with the League of Social Democrats and spouse of a former former legislator who's among the 47 facing charges. For the League of Social Democrats and many Hong Kong people, it would never have occurred to them that participating in the primaries and participating in the Legislative Council in a peaceful manner would be considered illegal means. We will wait and see what the prosecution side says the reasons are. But we think that participation in the primary election is not guilty. So we think this is a political repression and all those arrested should be released. So good morning, everybody. This is Eric Mann. You're on Voices from the Frontlines, your national movement building show. Wake up and smell the revolution. You know if it's February, 
the Pan-African Film and Arts Festival is coming up. We're here in studio to talk with Ayuku Babu, the director of the Pan-African Film and Arts Festival. He works closely with Asantua Olatunji. He also works with Danny Glover, one of the founders. We do every year, uh, Ayuku comes into the studio, we talk about films, and he recommends films that he thinks our audience would like. Since this is Voices from the Frontlines, which is a anti-racist, anti-imperialist, pan-Africanist politics, we focus on maybe some of the strongest political films. So we're going to start with a film called Soleil O, and I'm going to give you the dates. So this is Sunday, February 19th at 3. Remember, if you just go on paff.org, there's a whole calendar. You can remember all these times and dates and write them down. But at least I'm going to give it to you once. So it says, a furious cry of resistance against racist oppression and a revolutionary landmark of political cinema. This feature debut from Mauritanian director Merhondo is a bitterly funny, dazzling experimental attack on capitalism and the legacies of colonialism. Why don't you tell us more, Babu, about the film? Merhondo made a film, this is one of his early films, He's one, he's one of the founders of African cinema, and he's from Mauritania. And um, he had experienced, as an immigrant himself, came to France to get information, go to school, and he had a vision of the West, and um, began to realize that the West was not what it popped up to be. So as, as this young man tries to find himself and try to figure out where to go and how to go, he begins to develop a critique of capitalism, white supremacy, and uh, at the same time trying to navigate between the, kind of the manifestation of capitalism, the manifestation of white supremacy. He says, because he came from Mauritania, it took him a while to understand white supremacy. It's very difficult uh, in Africa because Africa is all black. So it's hard to critique white supremacy because the effects of white supremacy in, Mar in Mauritania in this film is abstract. There's no white people basically in Africa except we're a few white people in South Africa. Um, white folks only went to South Africa, Zimbabwe, and Namibia, where the climate was conducive to them living. And so I'll give you an example so you get a kind of real sense of what, what he's running into here. Um, take Lagos, Nigeria. Lagos, Nigeria, which is the commercial capital of Nigeria, is as big as Southern California. Right. Mm -hmm. 17... They have 25 million people in, in Lagos. 99.9% mm. .9 of the people there are black. So I would say it's probably less than 100,000 white people in Nigeria. So there's the consciousness doesn't exist there. So he was shocked when he ran into this kind of thing. Because you don't, you don't, 
you see the effects of capitalism abstractly, Exxon, Mobile, these kind of things, but it's not nothing you can touch or feel or something like that. But so don't, he, don't you see the that. British in Nigeria? Don't you see them? No, they're not there. The British, they sent um, agents. Okay. But, but yeah. Yeah, you don't see them. I mean, you know, they they, they, they don't exist. So they, they run to neo-colonial Yeah, I mean, agents. and even even if you see the British, that's one white person okay. out of 10,000 black folk. Got it. So there's no, there's no, um, so it's a shock to finally get here, navigate here, figure, it takes why it takes people a long time to figure it out. It takes a while to leave from a black country. Um, and so Ned is very, very excellent and conscious in working, examining that brother as he comes to consciousness from that whole experience. Um, that's in the bottom here. Hondo Crafts, a shattering vision of awakening black consciousness, which you're talking about, to create a historically astute and breathtaking cinematic manifesto for liberation. So that sounds like a great one. That would be Sunday, February 19th at 3. Let's go to the five demands. Before five demands, let me say this also about Med. You probably heard his voice a million times. No, no, you heard it. He was, he was Eddie Murphy's voice in all of the French films Eddie Murphy did. Hmm. So he had another ringside seat in Hollywood, made a lot of money. In fact, whatever, uh, Eddie, he's passed now, but every film he ever did, Med did the French version of it. So he was inside that whole experience and learned a lot about that. Well, that's the voice about Yuko Babu who knows everything about everybody. <laughs> and that's what makes you great about what you do. So I want to go to the five demands. I'm going to read it to you first what it says. Uh, 1969, fueled by the revolutionary fervor sweeping the nation, black and Puerto Rican students shut down the City College in New York. The five demands follow the student struggle against the institutional racism that for over a century had shut out people of color from this and other public universities. The film uncovers the untold stories of this explosive student takeover and proves that a handful of ordinary citizens can band together to take action and effect meaningful change. So I saw this film in New York in a sneak preview. And what I liked about it, the first thing I liked about it is that they had five demands. And I like focusing on demands. So the biggest demand they had was free public transportation. Um, that's funny I said that. <laughs> that comes to my mind. Open admissions for all students at the city university. Because what was happening is they were trying to have more black and Latino students, but because of the income uh, requirements at city university, they could say, well, it's not my fault I can't get black people there. They just can't afford it. So they said, well, you have to make it affordable. The other demands about amnesty, but the biggest thing that I liked about the film is it took you inside the organizing. It was an organizer's film, and they talked out loud. Now, these are people now my age, uh, perhaps Babu's age, but my age, because I was at Columbia University in 68, looking back. And one of the things I like about the film is that a lot of the people in their present incarnation 
are not revolutionaries today because they speak in the film. But when they reconstruct their life, they speak in the revolutionary voice of that period and they recapture it for you. Uh, I'm working actually to help get this film onto other campuses and I'm working with the filmmakers. So I think it's a terrific film and that's the film that the Strategy Center is going to be attending, which is Friday, uh, February 17th at 6.20 p.m. Channing will be there, I'll be there, and you'll be there, and we'll just watch it like everybody else, and afterwards we'll talk about it. So tell us what you think about it, Babu. It's a film that should not be missed because it really shows you concretely, specifically, what it takes to change, and that it's possible, and how you build the feeling among people that it is possible. I saw um, uh, on Democracy Now, Juan Gonzalez, who was part of that young person at that time, he talked about that was what was so important, that you really got a chance to see that it's possible, and that's what makes you believe it can be done, and then did it. So that fueled them for the rest of their life that you can do, and you can, you can actually do this. And that's what's so. That's how people get disillusioned and collapse when they don't know, don't feel you can. It's a one-shot thing, whereas they really showed how you build that in, how you make that happen. So it's it's not to be missed. Um, and one last thing is that they had some very good white and Jewish characters in the yeah. film, who were at first very confused about all the discussion of race, mm-hmm. and they showed a particularly good white guy, who was sort of trying to deny what was going on and how we got one over mm-hmm. in the process that they reached out to him mm-hmm. about the humanity of the struggle and how he sort of caricatures his own false consciousness mm-hmm. and how he was won over. So contrary to the theory that blacks and Puerto Ricans were, quote, anti-white, they weren't. They were anti-white supremacy, anti-white racism, anti-white power structure. But they reached out to white people to say, come on, which side are you on? And there's some really good white people in the film mm-hmm. who said, duh, I get it. I'm on the side right. of open admissions. And the same thing happened in San Francisco State. Right. Where there was a united front between the Black Student Union, the Asian uh, organization, Latinos, and the uh, anti-war movement, which is basically white. And they put that together. And, and that's, that's absolutely key. And you really get a chance to see that and have a sense of that. Um, so that'll be Friday, the 17th at 6.20. Not to be missed. Not to be missed, and I will not miss it. And we'll have several people from the strategy saying you can meet us and learn about our work. Now, you know, Babu, I've been doing a lot of work, actually, uh, about black soldiers in World War II and how the black soldiers in World War II came back from the war with a much more explicitly anti-colonial perspective. But this film, Fighting for Respect, African-American Soldiers in World War I, is something I'd really love to see. It's Sunday, February 12th at 4.15. I'll just read you a little and then you go. The compelling story of African-American soldiers who fought for democracy abroad in the segregationist U.S. Army They hoped that their much-praised heroism overseas would translate to equality and justice at home. 
The returning veterans and their communities instead became the target of unspeakable violence waged by white supremacists. So why don't you tell us more about the film and also the Red Summer of 1919, which was the J. Edgar Hoover-led uh, Palmer Rage. This film does something that is, is very rarely done. They connect everything. When you learn about the Red Summer, 1919, we read about the black soldiers being killed. You read about uh, Tulsa. Right. Uh, you read about the, the shootout down in Brownsville with the black soldiers. You hear all these things, but they, they're piecemealed out. This film connects it all because exactly. it all came out of that experience. Now, it shows you that these black soldiers fought on the front lines of World War I, which is a change in the history of the world, and experienced liberation. The first thing, uh, you see how that happened, because they hired black soldiers originally as cooks, stevedores, and workers. They brought them into the service. Mm -hmm. Then, uh, the Germans were killing so many white folks exactly. in the States, they had to bring these black soldiers in, but before how they got into fighting, it was the French. And you see that, so you really understand that the white races, Southerners, and a lot of the people that ran the army were Southerners, poor white boys that came out of the South right. and went into the service. Now, the Germans were wearing the French out. So the French asked for black soldiers, needed some more people, could the black soldiers, would they fight? The white Southerners had all kind of racist uh, tropes in their mind that we can't do this, to, anyway. And, but the conditions were so horrible, the Germans was, was whooping them. They had, to, they had to put that aside and go with black soldiers. That's what happened in the Civil War, is the Northern soldiers couldn't fight, didn't want to fight. Quit, go back to the quit farm. Quit, went back to the farm, and all of a sudden they said, well, maybe the black people right. who were the enslaved Africans who were cooking, maybe you better give them a rifle. And they, of course, did better than the white people. Um, and Fred, let me just say this. Please, please. Fred, Frederick Douglass was the key person that got uh, Lincoln to understand that. Right. Frederick, Frederick went to him. Also, he understood that historical moment. This was the moment that could change that we might be able to get our freedom at this moment. All the people who were thinkers and, and developed at that point understood this was the moment. Right. So he told uh, Lincoln that, listen, the white people are half divided. First of all, they don't want to fight. They want to go back to their farm. So they're half fighting. Also, they have a certain amount of resentment towards the white uh, leadership in the North because they ain't doing much with them on farms. Right. So it, was, it wasn't, as you, it wasn't white America, we all won. Because the thing you must understand, all white people came here separate. They didn't come here as a group. So at a certain point, they're going to say, well, look, man, I mean, you got a house, you got this, you got that, so why should I give up what I've got and go fight and work for you? Now, Frederick just said, look, Mr. Lincoln, the only people here 
in the United States is ready to fight. And we'll fight to the death. And we'll go all the way of black people because we're fighting for our freedom. That changes the game. Right. You say if you give us and support the concept of us getting free and, and leave that out, we will fight. We also hate the oppressor. That's right. You got, they, got, they got a history of personal vendetta. They want to go kill these people, destroy them. He sold that and created that whole kind of thing. Now, you see that clearly in this film in World War One. Now, they go into, they start to become fighters. Then all of a sudden, they run into peasant white folks in Europe that don't have the built-in racism that they experienced in the South. Because the white folks in Europe at that time there's an old saying called your and I and that concept what that means is this if you were from Senegal if you were from Ghana or if you were from Martania then they would have had a negative attitude towards them because that was their this is real key but if you're from someplace else another kind of African from the states then they don't have that y'all some other this, some other white folks are in charge of now, and it's real key to grasp this 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 point. And so they have take on an attitude of these people are interesting and they are militant and they doing all this music because already jazz had began to go around the world. Right. And so you're seeing the people who made this music that they're beginning to, which is a reflection of the 20th century, here they are. Now, they had great bands. One of the great bands in the army, that was in that army, was one of the great musicians in the world. I can't, his name is, escapes him, but he'll use him in the film. He had this incredible band, was as good as Duke's band, but it was the army band that marched down the streets in Europe. Now, here's what happens. So these brothers, get, they experiencing people reacting and having some kind of sense of respect for their music and for them. But once they picked up the gun and you see that everybody bleeds, everybody dies, and you're on that, you're in that battle. Now, this, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you a story connect how he, they, and this brother shows all this in the film. Brother told me at UCLA, he was a professional student who had been shell-shocked in World War II, but it, the same applied to World War I. And he lived at, the, at the, the hospital out there at UCLA, the government hospital where all the veterans live. And he had gotten five masters because he didn't want to live back in the world anymore. And this is what they experienced when he told me what, what, when you see this film, boom. He said they were surrounding the German um, nest up on a hill. And the Germans was raining down 
machine guns, because Germany developed one of the best machine guns, like the Russians developed AK-47. They developed something and the American couldn't match it. So, and then all the Senegalese and, and the Tanzanians and Mauritanians are all in the army, and they're coming up. They said, okay, we're going to surround this house. Y'all hit the front. We hit the back. Surround it. Now, you got to hit all at the same time to kill these Germans because they got automatic weapons. They're raining down. The voice that you're hearing is that of Ayuku Babu. The show you're listening to is Voices from the Frontlines, your national movement building show on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, streaming live on the web at kpfk.org. Now, we want you to also go on our website, voicesfromthefrontlines.com, and there's a cool thing that will help you register for it, which means you'll be getting weekly updates on these interviews, so you know Ayuko Babu is going to be on the show. We'll also have some interesting information about some of the films on the website so we need you voices two things. Uh, I've gotten some wonderful letters last week from listeners that I will read. And please send me letters at Eric at Voices from the Frontline so we know you are out there and I can tell the people who are on the station, see, people are getting up at 8 o'clock in the morning to smell the revolution and to listen to Ayuko Babu. So, you get it all? Eric at Voices from the Frontlines. Go on Voices and register, and then go on paff.org to check out this enormous number of phenomenal films. And you could just go to the Cinemark and just take a sleeping bag, and they got a lot of good food there, and just stay for two or three weeks, and you'll watch all the films. King and Crenshaw, 10 minutes from south of the 10 Freeway. There you go. And right next to the Strategy and Soul Right there across center. the street. Now, as I was saying, they had surrounded this nest of Germans. And this is what, what scared the white Southerners. But this is a story that happened, well, but it's the same story. He said, now in that troop group were Senegalese, Mauritanians, Ivorians, all of them. He said, when they hit, he said, okay, when we give the signal, you kick that door down, you kick that door down, you kick that door, and then kill these motherfuckers in here. We're going to do this. When they kicked the door down, brother sat there, and he, I looked at him in his eye, and I knew he was telling the truth. The Senegalese that kicked the door down saw the first German, where you sitting, right here as well. He hollered and screamed and cut him from his shoulder here through his stomach. Cut him in half. One blow. That scared the other Germans so much, they threw their machine guns down and ran off <laughs> their boarding down. Now, that's what these brothers did when they hit, when they finally had them guns and did that, and they went and started fighting. So they was fighting so hard that they began to get the respect and so forth and so on. Also, they saw this. They saw the Germans run. They saw white folks run. They saw you have to, if you're an impressed person, you got to believe the police can die. Right. That's right. So they saw that. Now, so that means 
I'm not taking no more nonsense. When we get back to Detroit and Alabama and, and, and Muskegee, all them places, we, this, is, this is over. You can't do that and come back and put up with nothing. So now when they come back, the white leadership of the army tried to scare them and lied to the women, told the women that they had tails and all this kind of stuff. That's where that all comes from. Now, once they get back, they're fighting. They go, they're not accepting all of this, so forth and so on. And that's when the reaction, that's when Red Summer comes. These are the killing of the soldiers that came back. So they don't connect. This is 1919. Right. The people they're killing in, in Tulsa and all these things, well, these young soldiers that come back, we're not taking this. And the, and the U.S. government backed it. Uh, what's his name? FBI and all. They backed that and crushed that. But that's what that's, and this film reveals that and shows that, and it's and you get the you get the actual um, conversation, the words. You will see he they take. We've seen every film on Tulsa has been separate. Tulsa riots is in the film because the young people who came right. back right. was running a business in Tulsa. They're all the same people, which I did not know intellectually, emotionally until I saw the film, it's all connected, it connects, don't miss it. Okay, you're definitely not gonna miss it after that. So, the film called Africa, Cradle of Humankind and Modern Civilizations. I'll try the French, Afrique, Berceau de la Humanité et des Civilisations Modernes. Journey to Africa to explain its original history before it was abruptly and brutally interrupted by the slave trade and colonization. A young mother sets out on the trail of her ancestors in search of ancestors for her children that she herself couldn't obtain from her parents. I'm sorry, in search of answers. She starts her journey in West Africa at the Museum of Black Civilization in Dakar, Senegal, which hosts the exhibition. Africa, Cradle of Humanity and Modern Civilizations, to find out about the lifestyles of our ancestors who lived on the continent before the deportation and to reconstruct history and reestablish Africa's contributions to humanity, she introduces several scholars who researched and written references on book on African history. She travels through time and space through spiritual, historical, and scientific testimonies that illuminate the golden age of the continent. So it sounds like it's both a documentary, mm -hmm. but it also has certain metaphysical or spiritual or mm -hmm. less linear elements. We believe, African people believe, the material analysis and the spiritual analysis. We don't really separate the material from the spiritual. Right. And what this film deals with is this. We, we're in the situation she's in of going and seeing the cradle of civilization. When you hear that Africa is a cradle of civilization, it really is. So when you go to see villages that are just now being unearthed, which I've been in villages that they don't have even the uh, barbed wire around it to protect these ancient villages five, six thousand years old. Right. You can, t you can, 
if you see ancient Egypt, the pyramids, and, and the Great Zimbabwe, you can see these, these kind of villages got the rocks fit in exactly the same, and you stand there and you know you said in 5,000 years ago. You, you actually can walk into these places and see that. That's what they're talking about there. So when you see that and see that this, these people walk at that time, that you've been here since the beginning, at, you're at the beginning at the end, that you ain't going nowhere, and that's the sense you get that when you go see the Zinjantapist man in Ethiopia, the woman, uh, Lucy, they call her Lucy, and uh, Ethiopian name is Ganesh. You see the whole body. It's right there. So this film takes you to the body. So you know that no matter what, the, what in the world do they say to you and talk to you walking down the street of Crenshaw, you're way beyond that. You, you, it changes your whole projection. It changes your whole understanding. And so therefore you know there's a future you can make a move and it happens. Now, let me, let me just add this other thing why this is such an important film. You actually can go and see the pyramid and not, you know, we hear about the pyramids in being Egypt, right? It's pyramids all throughout Africa. They got the, the pyramids in Sudan are older than the pyramids in Egypt. And they're still there. I mean, it's not like, you know, it's like the Hollywood Hills. So you're walking in a space, and the first thing people say, you must just got from America, right? And they knew that because we walking fast like New York, right? Like, come from L.A., you go to New York. Because everybody slows all the way down in Africa, and they walk as if, they got all the time in the world because they've been here 5,000 years. Right. And that's what that film shows you. And that's a very difficult time thing to explain, but it's not to be missed because he does, he takes the science fiction, the mystical, and mixes it all together. Like there's always a dialectical materialist explanation. There's always a spiritual explanation. Right. And then also they don't ever tell you this, but either on the spiritual thing, practical people have a way of dealing with the spiritual. So you know what they do in Africa, what they do in the villages? If the spirit ain't working, they take all the, all the carbon and take it outside and burn that up. <laughs> Start a new, let's go get a new guy. Right. Because you actually, in reality, that that ain't working. Right. There's a story that a brother, a, tremendous, a great carver, is carving this incredible piece of art. He's carving it, and there's an African-American brother watching him carve this, and he's done a whole, you know, just something unreal. And so then he carved it and sold it to the white guy for, you know, as far as the African-American, just a few dollars, you know. She said, Brother, why would you sell <laughs> you know, you done, done this in, enormous thing and you just sold it to some, some, some tourists who go throw it in the corner after they get a drink and forget about it. You just sold your soul. But I said, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. 
that's a piece of art. It's me. I ain't so me. That understanding is you get that sense. That film speaks to that. One other little story that connects to that story. I'm in, in, I'm in the edge of the Sahara Desert, and all of a sudden, we're in, in, a, in, a, in a hotel, and this white guy starts screaming, I don't want that, I don't want that, I don't want that. Everybody kind of look around and see what was happening. He is a brother trying to sell him some shackles, some slave shackles. I looked, everybody looked. He said, I don't want that. I, I didn't come to Africa to buy that. And it was saying, don't, I, I'm, I'm, I don't, 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 no, no, no. So when the guy, white guy left, I went up to him and said, brother, is, are these uh, shackles of enslaved people? He said, yeah. He said, we just dug them up. This was five years ago. So you just dug them up. So yeah, in Burkina, the trail down to Ghana is loaded with these mounds, and these brothers went into the mounds and dug up these shackles with the, with the skeletons still in the shackles, and they just cleaned them off and didn't sell them. So you're around all of that. So that's what this film brings to the table. Well, again, the voice you're hearing is Ayuka Babu. The conversation is about film, which we love. The particular film is called Africa, Cradle of Humankind and Modern Civilization. In our last minutes, let's go back to the formation of the Pan-African Film Festival before it existed, mm. when it was in your mind, mm. Danny Glover's mind. Mm -hmm. We take it for granted now. You know, February mm -hmm. comes, here's the Pan-African Film and Arts Festival. But as somebody who has also invented things mm -hmm. that later came into being, mm -hmm. what was in your consciousness to invent this thing? What was in my consciousness and what was in Danny's consciousness and Santwa's consciousness is this. We were experiencing that we were not getting complete information about the subtle interconnections with the wholeness of everything. We were getting piecemeal, and it also came from my experience growing up in Wyoming, where we get a whole bunch of, very little light in Wyoming. And we had began, we'd been around long enough to know that we need to have an understanding to have the whole connection, the whole relationships, the whole, all, we need more wholeness, more Pan-Africanism. Um, and we knew that a little bit of our story was in Haiti, a little bit of our story is in L.A., a little bit of our story, da-da-da-da. And that as a result of the slave trade and colonization, we've been spread all over the planet. And that takes a while to grasp that. And we knew that there's a little bit of the story in Belize, because we had met brothers from Belize. Um, I asked you about that brother. And uh, he was part of the, 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 the Black Panther Party and SNCC in D.C., I mean, in, in New York. And we knew he had a piece of the story. Of the story. So we said, we, we got to show, we got to, we got to one, 
as a result of a reading um, Crisis of the Negro Intellectual by Harold Cruz that raised the question that in this pre-revolutionary situation we're in, that we can't make revolution because everybody wants to really make revolution. Everybody really wants as perhaps we want to jump on him. That was part of Eldridge's problem. He really, all he wanted to do is make revolution. Now, since we can't do that, and we had gotten clear from, from the brothers around the world, Kwame went, Stoker went around the world in 1967, came back and told us uh, there's a long struggle ahead to get to revolution. And so we're saying, now, do we spend our time going down to the police department all the time and arguing about the, the next dead person? Or do we, and how crucial, we really should be involved in the cultural struggle to help raise people's consciousness about the interconnections and help develop that film industry because it's going to be so important in terms of telling the story. The story becomes important, so that's how we got that. That's how we ended up making that decision. Well, let me end with saying that it's a great, you're always great ah. stories. Your stories are films in themselves. So that's why we do what we do. Of course. Well, I want to add yeah. something. Because what you were saying, because you and I have talked about this yeah. a lot. <clears throat> See, what people don't understand on Voices from the Front Lines is that, like I'm writing a book called I Saw a Revolution with My Own Eyes. Mm. Strategy, history, and organizing for the revolution we need today. Now, why do I still call myself a revolutionary when I have no clue how we're going to have a revolution? Mm -hmm. The Strategy Center likes to call itself, in a modest way, revolutionary. Because we think you can't have a revolution if you don't talk about revolution. You can't have any chance of hope if you don't at least say, I am in revolutionary opposition to this country, which is wrong. So you may be more powerful than me. Mm -hmm. You may have almost a million police, a million and a half army, but you're still wrong. Mm -hmm. You're wrong. And that's what the Pan-African Film Festival can say to the system, which is you control a lot, but you don't control black people's minds and you don't control third people's minds. So we're going to go into the realm of film mm -hmm. because it's in film where we can tap into people's imagination. Tap into people's sense of history. Tap into people's sense of depression and reverse it. Mm -hmm. And say, I know you're depressed about the present situation, but this film is going to inspire you. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to go out, since you're right at King and Crenshaw, you're going to walk down the street to 3546 Martin Luther King, mm -hmm. to the Strategy and Soul Movement Center, and you will see Channing Martinez, and you'll see Barbara Lott Howard. Mm -hmm. And you'll see Julian Lamb, and you'll see Araya Blakely, and you'll see uh, Emily Zamora, and you may see me, Eric Mann, and we will have a revolutionary bookstore and a revolutionary film theater. So the Pan-African Film Festival and Ayukababu are inspirational, institutional forces in the life of L.A. and in the life of the world, because people come here from all over the world and all over Africa. So when they say Pan-African Art and Film Festival, that means whether you're from Belize, or whether you're from South Africa, or whether you're from Nigeria, or whether you're an Afro-Brazilian, which is one of the largest uh, 
centers of African American of Afro life, you welcome in South Central Los Angeles, wonderful South Central, at King and Crenshaw. So, this is what we urge you to do. On Friday, the 17th of February, at 6.20, I will be there, Channing will be there, come meet the Strategy Center, and there'll be some great people, including perhaps some of the people that actually built that history will, will be there. Then you get to meet Ayuka Babu, and you'll see Danny Glover, you'll see Asanto Olatunji, and you'll see the veterans who made history then and are making history now. So this is Eric Mann. You're on Voices from the Frontlines, your national movement-building show. Wake up and smell the revolution, and let's make the Pan-African Film Festival a phenomenal success this year. Again, go on P-A-F-F dot O-R-G. It's an amazing panoply of films. Come once, come twice. It's like I say, just hang around all the time. There's good food in the mall. And get to meet this gentleman who's making history today. This week for the music section of Voices from the Front Lines, we're listening to the soundtrack of the original broadcast recording of The Lion King, and particularly, we'll be listening to They Live in You. I've chosen this song this week in conjunction with the conversation with Babu and Eric as they speak about at least one of the films, Africa, Cradle of Humankind, and Modern Civilization. Again, this film is going to be at the Pan-African Film Festival on February 12th at 6.55 p.m. in the Cinemark Theater at Baldwin Hills. I got the wonderful opportunity to begin my week with the Lion King musical at the Pantages Theater, and this song in particular helped me to frame my week, and I hope it helps you to frame our week. That we remember our ancestors and we remember that we're part of a long line of struggle and it's our duty to fight for freedom as Asada Shakur taught us. If you're interested in fighting with us at the Strategy Center, I want to hear from you. Email me right now at channing at thestrategycenter.org. And with that, let's hear They Live in You. <laughs> Over. 
This is Eric Mann, and you know I'm the host of Voices from the Frontlines, and you are the co-host of Voices from the Frontlines and the producer. And your name is Channing Martinez. And you are, sir. I am a supporter of KPFK for years and directed the Pan-African Film Festival, Ayuko Babu. So you got three brothers here, right? Yeah. And we're sitting around at Strategy and Soul having a conversation about revolution. But you can't have a revolution if you can't pay the rent. Hello. You can't have a revolution if you can't pay people very minimal salaries. That's right. You can't have a revolution if the morning show on CNN, everybody's screaming at each other, mm-hmm. and we're trying to build up a radio show that's also a podcast. So this is what I'm asking you to do. Everybody who runs for office at KPFK says, if I'm elected, there'll be less fun drives. And I always say, yeah, and if I'm elected, there'll be socialism. But until then, there are going to be fun drives, and why don't we just make them fun drives? It's your show. It's your organization. It's your radio show. And if we ask you every week, so what? But this is an urgent time. The station is always in trouble, but it may be even a little bit more trouble now. I urge you, as a friend of Voices from the Frontlines, could you give $100? Could you give $250? Could you give $500? Could you become a sustainer at 818-985-5735? Ayuka Babu, why should people give money to support Voices? And why should they give money to support KPFK? Because if you appreciate voices and understand the value of voices, when I was a kid, I wish I'd heard voices. I'd be much further down the road. So freedom costs. So therefore, if you want to have this station, this station has 150,000 watts can hear it from Mexico to Canada. That's in our hands, these progressive people in the 1949 left this force. So, and it will be gone if we don't stand up and protect it, because it will be gone. So, support it, give money, come down and volunteer, go down to the Strategy Center, volunteer, put the time in, because this is the only voices that we have. 818-985-5735. Voices from the front lines, that is the voice of Ayuku Baba, who's been on the front lines since he and I were at the Palmer House, Palmer House in 1967 or something, <laughs> trying to get a, a Dr. Spock, well, a Dr. King yeah. and Dr. Spock ticket for president that didn't happen, but we were trying to make that history back yeah. then and we're still making history today. 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK and donate at kpfk.org. It's so important that we pass our radio station along to the younger generations and to everyone that's listening. I mean, just think about the conversation we just had with Baba. We just went from Dr. King running for mm-hmm. president. We went to Martinique. We went to the civil right, the veterans of World War II. And if you don't think that history is relevant, I mean, just go ask your friends today. Do they really think as a black person that they are an American citizen, right? 
And if you take it abstractly, you know, just by the frame, right? By definition, you might be. In reality, you're not. And KPFK is the only station on the air that's right now talking about these politics. And it is so dire that we support KPFK and that it survives. Call 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. And the last thing is that I want to say it again and again. I've been given more and more money as I get older because I want to say yes. When I get an appeal from somebody that's doing something good, I may not have a lot of money, but I want to make them know that it's a vote of confidence. And so I've been giving to more and more causes, uh, finding more money to give away to different causes, but it matters when the calls come in. So 818-985-5735, think about becoming a sustainer, but remember, you're giving a vote of confidence to voices from the front lines, and you're giving a vote of confidence to KPFK at 818-985-5735. We'll see you next week. We'll take it out with Nina Simone. All power to the people. I'll say clear and state my case of which I'm certain I've lived a life that's full I've traveled each and every highway and more, much more than this, I did my way. Get on the phone and call 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. Keep KPFK strong on the web. Digital services cost KPFK real money. KPFK is more than what you hear on the radio. At kpfk.org, you can listen to our live stream along with our on-demand content whenever you like. These digital services are free for you, but they cost us more money each year. For all of those times you've gone to kpfk.org, discovered new information, and shared it with others, please consider making a donation.